Michael Smith. Hi. It's episode 36 of the Canes cast. You know what that means? It's not Monday again. That's right. Well, you know, better a day late than a dollar short, I say. Yeah, it's it's been kind of a weird schedule the last few weeks. Uh, A couple of uh, rare Monday game days. And we were in South Florida yesterday, and I uh, felt it would just be better to, to wait a day and, and get back to Raleigh. It's, it's an off day here, Tuesday, April the 3rd, um, and, and sort of just rehash the last week. We did last week's podcast on a Tuesday as well yes, in, we did. Uh, in Newark. Yeah, and again, part of that was it was a game day, so you know, depending on what would have happened against the Florida Panthers, we kind of like to have the game in the rearview mirror that we can give you a little bit of a, a recap on. And look ahead. The unfortunate thing is on the look ahead, there's only two more games on the schedule, Michael Smith, and that's it. And he is the Webb's Michael Smith. And you are TV's Mike Maniscalco. And we will be taking your internet questions that you used with the hashtag CanesCast and a few other things coming up on the show. We also have a, if you like it, you can take it. And if not, send it right back. So that's coming up as well. Um, let's get to the fact that another season ends for the Carolina Hurricanes, Michael, after 82 games. I think the tough thing this year that a lot of the fans are coming to grips with was the real optimism, the hope at the start of the year that this was going to be the year that the playoff drought was broke and we're still in it. And now the question is, what didn't happen? And we can point to a few things to, to be as honest as we can inconsistencies offensively, in net, and just defensive breakdowns at terrible times just seemed to bite this team right when you thought they would get traction. They would do the, as I've called it, you put it in, I think, one of your tweet mails. It's the cha-cha. They would take two steps forward, then they'd take two steps back. And that leaves you at 500 in the NHL. You've got to go on a long winning streak or you can't have losing streaks. That's the only way that you can do anything in this league. Like Philadelphia is the prime example. They had horrendous losing streaks this year, but they had a 10-game winning streak. Right, and that sort of canceled out that, I believe it was a 10-game losing streak they went on at the beginning of the season. Um, And, yeah, we can break it down more, I guess, next week once the season is is over and done with. But but I think uh, the takeaway so far is is just disappointment. Disappointment that – considering the expectations coming into the season. And it's fair to say that the expectations were higher, justifiably so, because I think this is one of the the better teams that the Hurricanes have put together coming into a season in the last few years. There was hope. There was expectation. Carolina was a trendy pick among the experts to, to maybe sneak into the playoffs to be a bubble team. And to be fair, they were a bubble team for, for much of the year but they just couldn't get over that last hump and get across that playoff cut line and then stay there. There was that uh, sort of teeter-totter between being above the cut line, being above the cut or below the cut line, excuse me, and then uh, and then the team just sort of fell off. There wasn't that, as you mentioned, that extra push to get above the cut line and stay there, and that's, I think, the, the ultimate frustrating part. And I think that's what we're going to hear a lot of next week when the Hurricanes break it down one last time. We get some thoughts from the players, from the coaching staff. It's just that uh, expectations were justifiably high this year. And for whatever reason, uh, disappointing as it is, the Hurricanes weren't able to to end that playoff drought. No, they weren't. And I think that I hit on all three phases from the offense to defense and the goaltending as to what happened. We saw it click for a while, and then it would go off the tracks at some point. And as Michael just said, 
we're going to when the season's over and probably a podcast next Tuesday <laughs> as yeah, well. Probably so. Uh, to, to, I guess, do a post-mortem. We'll get down a little bit deeper to what happened. Uh, Hopefully we can have an interview or two for you on that podcast as well next week. Uh, This week is San's interview. Yes. Yeah, just just Michael and I. Just the two of us rapping. And you brought up the fact that they were a bubble team. I'm not trying to peddle false hope here, but the Canes were not officially eliminated until there were three games left in the season for them. Now, that's officially. Unofficially, team knew that they were out of it about – two weeks ago yeah it, it, it had been kind of realistically uh out of the picture a little before that and I think the team kind of knew it I mean they see the standings every day in the locker room it's on a uh, it used to be on a whiteboard it's on a digital board now in the locker room so the Hurricanes uh the players the coaching staff you know they can say that they might not pay attention to the standings but we all know that that they see them just as much as we do um, they're up there for everybody to see, and, and you can kind of do the math in your head. Mathematically, the chance is still there, but realistically, at some point, the Hurricanes lost that ability to, yeah. to be in control of their own destiny and then needed basically a miracle to happen to get in, and of course that didn't happen. Once you start having to have the teams in front of you lose multiple games, it becomes really tough to get into the playoffs. And then if you just have to leapfrog one team, Okay, but the Florida Panthers then made it a pesky situation down the stretch as well. And look, the the Panthers. Let's get this game, you know, in and out of the way. Last night, I think a typical game for the Canes this year that sums it up, where they had some really good moments, but breakdowns ended up just costing the team. Big goal in the first period on a defensive breakdown, and then you've got some battle back. You know, they they had a good goal to start the game. Trevor Van Riemsdyk jumps in after great work from Justin Williams and Brock McGinn and Jordan Stahl. The defense jumps up, new member, new acquisition, who I think had a quietly really good season here in Carolina. Trevor Van's, Van Riemsdyk's not a flashy player, but he does exactly what you want him to do in, in his matchup, in his setting. He scores a goal, but then, what, next faceoff, Florida comes down and scores a goal, ties it right up. So any momentum you have evaporated right there. And that, that game kind of summed up what this season turned into for the Hurricanes. Yeah, it, it, I think it, it did. The Hurricanes could have easily been up two three nothing in that first period uh Brock McGinn had a couple really good looks before Van Riemsdyk ended up scoring and that was I think the good part about that sequence is that the Hurricanes didn't squander that opportunity it ended up obviously finding the back of the net and the Hurricanes grabbed the one nothing lead but then uh you know later in the period the Hurricanes had the two on one I think it was stall given to Williams and Williams put it right off the post or maybe it was McGinn to Williams um, but a shot right it off the post. It was McGinn to Williams, and Williams put it off the post, yeah. The game was a bit loose uh, to begin with. It was back and forth, lots of chances either way. Tightened up as it went along, but I think from the Hurricanes' standpoint, uh, they would have liked to, to maybe make more hay out of that, that early flurry yep. of chances that uh, they had. Normally my uh, position in the game on the road is right by the ice. Uh, I wasn't in Florida. I was kind of up in the, the crowd, which, I mean, it was a good vantage point to watch the game. You were among the people. Yeah, I was, uh, with the, the rats and everything. Yeah. <laughs> good times. Maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, we will. <laughs> but the ice, when I got near it, um, when I for the intermissions, I can go and I poke my head through the, the bench where the you know trainers are and where George Alves and the equipment managers are. It wasn't a good playing surface last night. And I'm not trying to say, oh, that's why. It's not an excuse. Both teams play on it. But – it was hard to make plays because the, the puck was bouncy and the players were saying, you know, you were holding on to the puck because we knew we couldn't make a pass. If you did, there was no telling if it was going to get there or not. And I think that that played into why the game was so loose because 
you weren't really sure what the guy with the puck was going to do with it last night. I thought, and maybe you can weigh in on this, there, uh, Panthers were credited with what I believe 18, 19 shots in that first period. Yes. Um, and then 16 combined the rest of the way yes. in the final two periods. I know the game was, was open and, and loose and a bit uh, not as defensively sharp as the Hurricanes would like, but I felt like that, that number was a bit inflated. I didn't feel like the Panthers had that many shots. Credited before. with 19 shots in the first period. Uh, if didn't feel like it either. Yeah, no, it, it seemed like a lot. And, you know, Scott Darling's not going to complain about that because that no. only helps his save percentage. But that seemed to be a bit of a, a home bias on the uh, on the shot counter there. There was something else, too, and I think it, yeah, it was the hit category, too. I know that the Hurricanes are not an overly physical team, but they had the hits basically 2-1, to one, more than 2-1. to one. 29 for the Panthers, and the Panthers do hit, and yeah. 14 for the Canes. But at one point, that was another thing I looked up. And the hit chart had it twelve to two, and I'm like, that's, and that's a weird stat. Again, people who like to talk about hits depends on what building you go to. There's some buildings where they don't give out any, and then there's some buildings where if somebody sneezes near somebody, that counts as two. So there are buildings where where shots are counted more uh, generously. There are buildings where assists are given out more generously. It's it's a it's a very subjective thing, and that's. I think something to keep in mind when you're looking at some of these stats like giveaways, takeaways, hits, is very subjective building to building. Of course, the league has a standard that they want applied, but it's just like, you know, an official trying to judge a penalty or, or something like that is one person might see it differently than a than another person, and that's where you get the discrepancies. The, the stats, believe it or not, and it's the stats that we don't really get our hands on often, are the stats that the teams do officially themselves after the game. The Carolina Hurricanes have Chris Huffine and LJ Scarpace who break down the video and break down it again, and they go back over with the coaches. What was the scoring chance? Was that a hit? I mean, they, they do their own stats basically at the end of the game right. and see how they match up. And we've had a couple of times where Bill Peters has said, what did they say they had? How many shots? Yeah, okay. You know, and I, I'm summarizing there, yeah. but that happens. That That kind of is one of those things that comes into play. So that's why I'm not going to be a dinosaur and go – so everybody who goes to certain fancy metrics, some of the buildings that a team plays in do have an effect on, yeah. on what their, their numbers are going to look like. But I'm not dismissing them. I'm just saying there's so much that goes into it. I do trust the coaches, though. And scoring chances is one that is really subjective. Extremely. All right. I get to go back in the day for you. Okay. I had a history lesson. Little, well, for those of, you know, those of you who don't know, I did work for a, a coaching staff. I worked for – um, Ted Nolan's coaching staff in 1996-97. I was 21 years old and got this internship as it started out, and then it became the job. So I, I had somebody go, I look for you in the media guide, you're not in there. I'm like, because I was an intern hired three weeks before the season started. Um, and how I got the job is amazing, but that's a whole other story for another day. But anyways, my job was to, in the game, do what Chris Huffine does yeah, you right now. Yeah, you Chris Um and I would break down the scoring chances, power play, penalty kills, anything else that was relevant. I had to break it down, have it all summed up for the coaches to come in, look at quickly in the intermission, then go talk to the players. And what I found out quickly, the difference between a shot on goal and a scoring chance for those guys, because I missed a scoring chance that they thought was obvious, and I'm, I'm like, I guess I'm not coming back to work tomorrow. Um <laughs> But, but you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but it's like the, a scoring chance is you get the puck into the garden spot. You know, you, you get 
in a threat position to make a play. Doesn't necessarily even mean you're going to get a shot on goal, but it's a, it's a scoring chance. And then sometimes a shot on goal, you know, you're just flinging the puck from 45 feet out. There's no traffic in front. Goalie sees it all the way. That's not a scoring chance. You just it's that's actually a giveaway. Shane Willis and I talked about that uh, the other day on the broadcast, Hurricanes Live. Little plug for that. Thank you. It's good Fox show. Sports Carolinas. Yeah. Sometimes Southeast, yeah. but but not again this year. Uh, although you will have uh, our good friend Michael Smith, the Webb's Michael Smith, making an appearance on the next one. But what I'm saying is, like, those numbers, those are what you go into. And I know right. we got sidetracked there, but those are the numbers that I've, when we're done with a game and we get a day to set in, I get a chance if I see one of the coaches, Rod Brindamore or Chris Huffiner, I'm like, hey, how many scoring chances did you have you guys down for? How many did you have? And they're usually good with a number. Yeah, and it's always lower than what you think it is. Right. Always. Yeah, I think they're they're pretty strict about because I think there was one game uh, here where Broughton again I think hit the post and the coaches didn't count it as yeah. a scoring chance. I, I don't know why. I don't know what criteria they use, but that was just. Uh, I think the stat counters up here did count it as a yeah. scoring chance, obviously. But um, that's that's the discrepancy yep. that you get even from. Uh, just the uh, like the television stat keepers versus the coaching staff versus then yeah. the official scores. So it's it's a very subjective thing, scoring chances, all those all those types of stats. Didn't think that we were going to get into that rabbit yeah, hole for you here today on the Canescast, right but we jumped in, and hopefully that explains it for you. That while it seems that there's one universal stat keeper for all of the books for the NHL. It's different because it differs from building to building, team to team, and then how the teams look at the stats when they're done after the game. And even the TV broadcast, I can tell you, shout out to Lee Taft, who does yes. the stats for John Forslund and Trip Tracy on Fox Sports Carolinas in the building here at PNC Arena. But, you know, Lee's stats are his stats. A lot of times he'll even tell you they don't match up to the stats that are in the building at the time. So you just go – Go with what uh, is out there and use your eyes. You'll figure it out. One stat uh, that you can't question from last night was the fact that the Hurricanes uh, recorded a fight. Roland McEwen uh, stepping up big time, um, you know, as obviously the Hurricanes, the team goal of making the playoffs, that's not attainable at this point. But there's still something to play for. And individual player players have impressions to make as we play out this last week of the season, head into the offseason. Roland McEwen, a guy who has seen sporadic time with the Hurricanes, uh, saw a hit that he didn't like, uh, that I don't think anyone on the Hurricanes no. liked. It was a board on, on Brock McGinn there in the corner, and McGinn was down for a second, but he did return to the game. And McEwen skated right to the guy, Weger, McKenzie Weger. McKenzie Weger, and challenged him to a fight. That's not McEwen's game. He's nope. had, according to HockeyFights.com, he's had one other fight in his professional careers in last year's Calder Cup playoffs. So that's not his game. He's not a physical guy. But when he saw something he didn't like, he stood up for a teammate, challenged the guy to a fight, and, and that's what happened. So I liked it, and I think a lot of the guys in the locker room, the, the coaching staff, they liked what they saw out of McEwen yesterday. What did you think? I loved it. And yeah. you're you're tempting me to go on a rant here, <laughs> the Webb's Michael well, Smith. Well, I mean, you know. I, I can't say do you want me to be real two weeks in a row on the podcast. I think you can. You want me to be real? I think it's a thing. You want me to be real? Be real, son. You want me to be real? Be real, real. I loved what Roland McEwen did because that's part of the game. Because for all of those people out there for all these years, and I'm not sitting here going, oh, you need to have staged fights and all of the goonism that used to populate the National Hockey League. No, those days are gone, 
and I'm fine with that. I'm fine that you don't have a guy who's going to play two and a half minutes a game sitting on the bench and his only purpose is to hit somebody in the face with his fists because he has no hockey skill. I, I don't care that those are gone. By the way, there are a lot of people who do care that we're fans who like to see the fights because I promise you this. You go to an NHL building, the two loudest noises you will hear are after the home team scores a goal and when there's a fight. That's it. And free T-shirts. Well, free T-shirts. But that's <laughs> that's anywhere on planet Earth you yeah. go. If I'm running for president, I'm definitely promising free T-shirts. Michael Smith, free T-shirt we'll platform. We'll go up like, to the top of the White House and we'll just shoot them off the roof and people can go crazy. Do the slingshot. Get yeah. stormy there with you. Yeah, it'll be nuts. Like what you're doing. Every Saturday. All right. But here's here's where the rant comes in. Mackenzie Weger's board on Brock McGinn was more egregious, more egregious than Roland McEwen dropping the glove, skating in, and taking on Mackenzie Weger for hitting a defenseless player into the boards where you could do serious damage to his career. Hope you're listening, NHL. So that's what happens in the corner. And then what happens? You get a 2-5 and a 10 for Roland McEwen for defending his teammate, for trying to tell somebody on another team, we ain't going to stand for that. Not here. Not on my watch. From a guy who steps out of character to do that, which, by the way, that's a good thing for a team. When you see somebody step out of character and say, I'm going to do what's right, I'm going to defend my teammate, or I'm going to have a little bit of pride tonight, or I'm going to play with this kind of passion, or this is how I'm going to go. And that's what fighting in the NHL, what fighting does for me. And all of these just sanctimonious, self-righteous, People almost went almost yes. went real, real yeah. there. <laughs> Who sit there and write, Ooh, fighting, you're a Neanderthal. Uh, shut up! It's the only sport that we watch on a daily basis, save lacrosse, where guys have actual weaponry in their hands, a stick. And I can promise you that if we were in a job where I had a stick and I kept hitting you hard on your wrists or your hands or poked you in the midsection with it for 60 minutes, at some point in time, either you or someone you know who you work with, you would want to punch me in the face for doing it. So the deterrent to get me to stop doing that to you or to push your face into the glass when you don't see it coming is to say you're going to get hit in the face if you do this. So the NHL, get rid of your stupid instigator rule. Get rid of it. It is dumb. The power play last night after the McKenzie Weger boarding, which could have been a double minor because it was pretty bad. Brock McGinn had his back to him. He didn't do the, the shoulder and then the turn. Brock McGinn's back. The numbers were there the whole way. I am on an epic rant on this one. Yeah, I'm just letting you go. That's more dangerous than Roland McEwen dropping the gloves because you know why? Weger saw him do it. Weger saw McEwen coming and saw him drop the gloves and right. had the chance to defend himself. Right. It's not like McEwen grabbed him from behind and started punching him in the head. That that that's There's no place different. for that. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. This was McEwen saw him, I'm coming, drop the gloves, you see it, let's go. You choose to go, you go. And that's why. And I'm, I'm sorry for all of the people who want to sit there and say that fighting doesn't have a part of the game. That, to me, is part of the game because you cannot let these guys run around unchecked. Yeah, that's that's I, just what it comes down to. You simply cannot do that. And Roland McEwen, is that going to stop Mackenzie Weger from boarding somebody again in the future? Probably not, but he might think twice about it. Yeah. Or he might realize, I don't need to finish this check into the boards. So I, I loved what McEwen did. I have no problem with him taking that penalty. My problems with the NHL for putting a two on the front and then the 10-minute misconduct on the back because that's idiotic.
That is absolutely idiotic. I'm not advocating fighting, and for all of you out there who think I'm ad- advocating fighting, then you're advocating boarding. All right? Let's, we'll go tit for tat on this one. You're advocating doing something that is reckless, and the only repercussion is you hope that the ref sees it, and ooh, you'll get two minutes for it. Right. That, to me, is the huge problem with this. So good on Roland McEwen in his brief, brief stint here with the Carolina Hurricanes. I've liked what I've seen out of him as every game has moved on. I think the first couple of games, you know, duck on the water, kind of smooth on top, but, you know, the, the legs were moving really fast underneath, but he got him underneath him, and he, he's he's going to be – I think he's going to be a guy who can play in this league and make an impact for the Canes the way he plays. But that was good last night, bad on the NHL, rant is done. And that's the type of play that that sticks in the coaching staff's the front office's mind. It they should. see a play like that and they think, okay, this you know this guy one uh, is not afraid to engage himself in the battle like that, and two is someone his teammates are going to rally behind. And and Trevor Van Riemsdyk talking to him after the game last night basically said as much. He said Roland is a great guy on and off the ice, and it, it made sense for him. To do what he did, and it was well-respected in the room, yep. uh, well-respected, I think, too, by head coach Bill Peters after the game. Um, basically, as you said, a, a good move. You just said it uh, much better and uh, angrier. And I will promise you this, was well-respected by the Florida Panthers head coach, Bob Bugner, because yep. that's what Bob Bugner did in his career right? as a defenseman. When he'd see, and I saw him do it, when he'd see somebody take liberties with a teammate, He'd go and make the other guy answer the bell, or somebody was going to answer the bell for doing it. Right. So, yeah, I, I there's more I could go on that, Michael, but I need to back off because <laughs> I I was I was getting to a line. It's a podcast. Maybe I can cross it, but I was going to cross it. <laughs> we're a family friendly podcast. Yeah, yeah, we're here for the kids. Yeah, we're not. Uh, we're, you know, we're not like those who say hey, it's a, it's a freedom, man. Yeah, okay, I'm all for freedom. But yeah, we want everybody to like. We'll this. just keep it tame. And again, if you ever want to engage. Either of us in a conversation that you hear us say on the podcast or somewhere, like if you disagree with a rant I just had, let me know. I mean, I would rather have discourse and talk about it and explain it. It doesn't mean you're going to change my opinion, and it clearly means I won't change yours. Lord knows I've had enough of those conversations in my life as a former sports talk show host. Yeah, but that's kind of the job. But, yeah, my, my opinion is I think that you'd see a lot less of those really bad hits we see now. In some of the stick work, you know, they tried to take it out of the league. Michael, I'm right there on the ice. You can hear it. You hear it. You hear these guys hitting each other on the wrists and, you know, the smacks they give them. And, and they've tried to police that a bit this year with the and they did. and slashing. They right? did early, but, you know, and they still you still see some of the calls come in, but not like Derek Ryan was going to draw a slashing penalty as he uh, scored his goal last night. But, of course, he scored the goal. And, and so the uh, – the slashing penalty was, um, I guess, just negated by the fact that he scored a goal. Uh, but they were going to get um, whoever it was. I forget who the Panthers mm-hmm. defender was. They were going to get that person for a slashing penalty as he basically just hacked uh, Doc right across the wrist or the top of the stick as he was coming in for a scoring chance. And, and good on Derek Ryan for being able to, to fight through that and, and still score a goal. On a nice heads-up play by uh, Klaas Dahlbeck. To, yes. As he's skating back into his own zone – doesn't have the tie. He's got a defender right on him. Doesn't really have the time to turn and look, but has the presence of mind to know that he's got a teammate up the boards waiting for the puck, and Lee Stepniak just bounces the puck right off the boards, up and out. Florida's changing defense. The Hurricanes catch him, and, and obviously Ryan scores to tie the game at two. So 
I think we've discussed about everything from last night's game. Yeah. It was disappointing result, but uh, some good parts here and there, and uh, an exciting game early that that tightened up after that, and that was that. Florida was a desperate club. Florida needed that two points. I think their tragic number is now four. Uh, they're the only team in the Eastern Conference currently below the playoff cut line that still has a mathematical probability of qualifying for the postseason. But then again, they're still going to have to. They play Nashville tonight at home. They're going to need basically every game that they have left, which I believe is uh, four, four or five games. Four. Four games. They're going to basically need every point that they can get, and they're going to need New Jersey to to stumble a little in their three final games down the stretch. Yeah, I think I did the quick math last night, and I'm looking up for you again, Mr. Smith. Uh, if you are New Jersey, you've got three games left, so they can max out at 99 points. If you are Florida, you got four games left, you can max out at 96 points. So you basically need the – New Jersey Devils to lose two of their last three, and then if you're Florida, you got to win out. And I don't think that's going to happen. No, nah, I don't think so either. Florida's made a it's great, a great run, run for them. Really good run. Uh, that what was it? Uh, eight game home winning yeah. streak that they put together there in, in February and March was was excellent, especially when when everyone thought that the Atlantic Division yep. might be down and out. Um, a great <sighs> I'm run. So mad at myself. <laughs> I kept well, I kept banging the drum until yeah. the week before they go on the run. But they're not gonna, you know, it's I gonna know. be five metro teams. But I I I thought that they might be a factor down the stretch. By the way, this is episode thirty six of the Canes cast, and then there were two, only yeah. two games left. So. And I think uh, I think we pegged New Jersey as a team that might fall off a bit because they yep. started the season incredibly hot. hot, and they were running away at the top of the metro. Um, Washington and Pittsburgh were were underachieving a bit, but of course. Those teams, perennial playoff teams, really uh, have turned it into high gear and now are one and two in the Metro. New Jersey's going to still qualify for the playoffs. They've got Taylor Hall, um, who's should probably be a Hart Trophy candidate. Yeah, he's he's been excellent for them this season. That game up in New Jersey last week, uh, the, the passes that that Taylor Hall was making were were things uh, were were beauties. Um, unfortunately for the Hurricanes. Yeah, but. It's going to be uh, an interesting playoff. I actually think, speaking of the playoffs, I actually think we got a question about the playoffs. We we asked uh, the fans for some for some questions this morning. Yes, from Dan McLaughlin at Kaniac one seven six on Twitter. Assuming current playoff matches stay put, which I realize is a giant assumption, which first round matchup are you looking forward to watching most? All right, I had one in the East and one in the West, but my one in the West has kind of gone away. I am looking forward to Winnipeg and Minnesota. I was until Gary Suter broke his leg. Yes. He's, um, a, he's a bit of a, a difference maker for the Minnesota Wild. I even still thought I, Winnipeg's really good, and I think, unfortunately for Eric Stahl and the Minnesota Wild, that the Winnipeg Jets are going to – Or Ryan much, Suter, I'm sorry. I went to his dad, Gary Suter, who played for the 1980 Olympic team. I think they're pretty much going to run away with that series. Yeah. I, I, like, I like the Winnipeg Jets. The Sneak only, peek, I, and I, think I think the Jets are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. I think we may might have talked about this off the microphone yesterday, but the only thing that might hold Winnipeg back is if Connor Hellebuck uh, stumbles a bit yep. in the postseason. Uh, that being said, if everything holds the way that it should right now, I am looking forward to Boston and New Jersey, if that is the that playoff series. And remember, you've got right now three teams, Columbus, Philadelphia, and New Jersey, within a point of each other. Oh, and – they're within New Jersey is three points within Pittsburgh. So this could be totally different. But the team speed of New Jersey 
versus the heavy game that the Bruins like to play and the skill that that Boston has, that I would like to see. I think that that would be – I think that could be an entertaining first-round series and a, hey, don't look now, but that could be your upset. Could be. I, I, I don't want to believe in Boston, but they're really good. But that is going to be a really good test for them. And Tampa versus Toronto could just be fun. Yeah, they're going to be some fun first-round matchups. Um, and like you said, there could be some serious movements still in the standings over the last week of the season because uh, you know Columbus still hasn't even clinched yet. Uh, it would take basically a miracle for them to fall out of it, but they still don't have that X by their name. Neither does Philadelphia or New Jersey, as yep. we've talked about. But, um, yeah, you could see some serious movement. I mean, Philadelphia is tied with Columbus right now in points. Columbus has the tiebreaker, but they could easily jump into that three yep. spot in the division and have to face Pittsburgh in the first round. It looks like uh, Washington, yeah, has got the the division locked up as as first place, so they yeah, will they do. face the first wild card team, which would be Philly, which is Philly right now. Um, I think Washington wins that series. I, Philly's Philly's fine. Yeah, Philly depends on their goaltending. We're gonna get a look at Philly on Thursday. Claude Giroux. An excellent goal the other day against, I believe, it was the Boston Bruins in overtime to win it. Oh, by the way, speaking of Hart Trophy candidates, we're not talking about Claude Giroux at all. Yeah, there. This is going to be a tough year for the Hart Trophy, from Evgeny Malkin to Claude Giroux to you go out to Connor to Los McDavid. Angeles. Well, Connor McDavid is is a really good case study for me. Awful team, but his numbers are amazing. Taylor Hall doesn't have the numbers of those guys, but he's like thirty five points ahead of the next closest player on his team. So he shoulders that load. Anji Kopitar with the L.A. Kings is having an unbelievable year. This is going to be tough. And then goaltending, you know, what Pekka Rinne means to Nashville, but the defense in front of him, I think that'll take, you know, take him out of the running, but he might win the Vesna Trophy but this his, year. His run that he had, uh, what, he won, what, 22 of 23 or something insane. Yeah. I mean, that's just, for the National Hockey League, that's, that's an incredible. I know. So – you need, and again, goes back to speaking of the run that you need to go on. You need to do things like that in today's NHL. All right. Well, While we're on the subject of questions. Yes. Uh, let's let's just, stay there. Let's do some more. Uh, one that came in yesterday. Are there any pending free agents that you think are a good fit for the Hurricanes? That's from Michael Butler at ButlerMike43 on Twitter. All right. So I'm going to play this game. Let's just assume that anybody who can be a free agent will be a free agent on July 1st, okay? Meaning nobody gets re-signed before then. These are all the, the players who are at least best best case scenario to be an unrestricted free agent. I think that some guys, like everybody just drools over uh, John Tavares. Um, everybody drools over him, but I think he's going to re-sign with the Islanders. Uh, I'm not sure. The problem here and this is going to sound odd, but I'm trying to cover Michael Smith from the web, myself. From and, TV. And we are employees of the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes. So technically we can't really comment on, hey, but it's a podcast, so I'm going to comment on it anyway. <laughs> uh, John Tavares is the guy who I would love to put yeah, on I mean, my he's team. A, he's obviously top of the list. As you said, I think I would have to imagine he probably resigns with New York if he doesn't. He's going to get paid. Absolutely. He is going to he's get going to get paid regardless, whether it's in New York or otherwise. But if he's going to leave New York, he's going to need to see the dollar signs. Yeah, he is. He, to me, is one of those guys I look at and say, you got to find a way to 
come up with a scratch or whatever else that he wants and you can put him in there. But then this is not and I'm I'm very serious. This is not a great year for free agents because you're going to either have to overpay, I mean like really overpay for guys or you're taking a chance on, you know, somebody who eh, maybe trying to break out, maybe trying to be a a player who can, you know, either recapture a little bit of something. Uh, there is a guy, the last name's already on this team, and I like how his older brother plays north of the border. Yeah. That would be JVR, yeah, James Van Riemsdyk. One. I like him. He's going to be unrestricted. The tough thing about him is what the number would be and how many years would you have to sign him for and, you know, what uh, what comes in. But the, the Canes have something that could be enticing for him. Here's an interesting one. Ilya Kovalchuk, he's expressed some interest in coming back to the NHL. Reportedly, allegedly. Yeah. No, he says he's coming back. What do you Look, think about that one? I, I wouldn't sign him because in his mid thirties, thirty five. Yeah, I wouldn't sign him for this reason. The whole runoff to the KHL. Not that he would do it again, but I think that Kovalchuk to sign him in Carolina. I think you'd have to give him a longer contract than what you should give him. I think a two-year deal would be great, and this isn't. I'm not going down the old Don Cherry. I wouldn't sign these Ruskies too. I'm not doing that. I just think that um, he would want to play for. And this is anybody who's a non-playoff team right now, and far away, like Arizona, Buffalo. You know, teams that you're looking at. Not that the Canes, I think, are that far away, but I don't know if Ilya Kovalchuk at 35 comes over here and then, you know, what's yeah, he going to do? Score 50? Yeah. Do you think that? I think he's he's still capable of scoring 30. He's going to want to sign for a team that's – and not that I don't think the Hurricanes could be a playoff team next year. I think that's a very distinct possibility. But I think he's going to want to to select a team that's further along in that uh, playoff progression yep. to where they've been to the playoffs for a few years in a row now and show no signs of, of slowing down. Yeah. Especially at his age. Uh, he wants to win a Stanley Cup, clearly. So yep. he's going to want to go to a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, and then there are uh, a couple of guys. I I'd like a sandpaper guy. So, like, Patrick Hornquist in Pittsburgh. I don't think he's re-signed yet with uh, the Pens. I don't know if him and Cam Ward get along. It doesn't matter. It does. <laughs> I, once you get in the same locker room, I, I think bygones are bygones. But yeah. those two have a history on the ice. Yeah. Well, and I, I know. And that's one of those things where now that you're here, okay, we're going to put this one We're gonna put this one behind us and move right. on. So, that's just – those are some of the ones that I look at and say, okay, that could that could work for me. It'll be interesting. Uh, related to that, um, I'll go ahead and jump to one we got today because I think we can piggyback off of that. Um, well, actually, this is a, a take it or send it back. No, no, I got this one. This is from okay. uh, this is from Killa. I love you, Mike's. I realize that's not a question, but a statement. Well, thank you. We love everybody who listens to us here on the yes. podcast. Uh, I'd like to know what the team plans to do during the off season to prepare to kick butt next season. Um, let me answer that as best I can, which is got to see who the general manager is first and how that comes into play. But I think that this team is going to look and realize that they need to add maybe a little bit more grit, you know, jam, whatever term of the year they're using now for that player and a little bit more scoring up front. I mean, adding another another playmaker or goal scorer 
And I think that's what they're going to look to do in the offseason. We can break this down even more next week in a couple of the future Canes yeah. Cast podcasts we've got coming up. But I think that's the, the direction to add someone who consistently every night makes the offense better and somebody who makes it tough to play against this team because of the way their style is, either a defenseman or a forward who you put on you know, the third or fourth line, somebody who's just got that kind of you know, irritant about his game. I think that's what they're going to look to do in the offseason. Yeah. I, I think right now there's a lot of uncertainty that surrounds the offseason just because of um, the uncertainty around who the next general manager of this team is going to be. But I think once that gets sorted out, I think the picture of, of what's ahead in the, in the coming months will, will become a lot clearer. All right. Okay. So we answered some questions there. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got one more. Okay. Uh, Andy Cullen on Twitter, at Mull the Drummer. Ooh. Who has work to earn a new deal and can make the last couple of games count? Ooh. Because as we talked about, the team goal of the postseason is uh, now officially mathematically over. So there's pride to play for. There Always. are impressions to make. Um, obviously, the team would like to win the final game at home here against Tampa Bay on Saturday, April 7th. But then there are guys who are due for a new contract at the end of the year and, and who, um, you know, could make a lasting impression, one final push uh, to maybe stick around and, and earn a new deal. Well, Trevor Van Riemsdyk's a restricted free agent. I think that's a, that's a no-brainer. Uh, qualify him and, and get him back into the fold because, as you said earlier, he's, he's not a flashy player. He's not going to – you're not going to rely on him to score many goals. Last night was his third goal of the season. Yep. But he fits into that 5-6 role perfectly. And I think for, you know, the price and the term is probably going to be exactly right. I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah, um, for me, the player, if you look at the Canes right now, you have, as far as restricted and unrestricted free agents go, you have three unrestricted free agents, and then the rest are restricted. So you have – Seven restricted and three unrestricted for this upcoming season. Cam Ward, to me, is the most notable of the unrestricted free agents that you have, followed by Lee Stempniak and Derek Ryan. No particular order there, but, yep. like, you know, you, Cam's been with the organization his whole career. Yep. Uh, I, I think Derek Ryan is a guy, and the way he's been playing, he's on a, a five-game point streak. He's set a career high in goals and assists. If he can finish the season strong, you know, he's a guy playing for a contract in, with the Canes or in the National Hockey League. Of the restricted guys, Valentin Zikoff is a restricted free agent. So how he plays down the stretch I think will determine what kind of deal that the Hurricanes would be willing to give him, two-way contract or is it a one-way contract, and he's going to be a, a member of that line, the, the Lapland line. Credit. Ooh. Yeah. Because uh, the guys on the Fox truck were calling it the, the Zat line. Yeah. And I went, well, did. Lapland. Because, and they're like, what is Lapland? I'm like, well, Finland and Russia share a common area. Huh. So it's called Lapland. A bit of geography oh, there's, for there's, you. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> – by the way, it hasn't been the friendliest share in the history no. of the world. No. But, yeah, that's uh, one of those things where I think Zekoff is playing for a contract or along that Taz line. line. Uh, Phil DiGiuseppe is playing for this as well. He's a restricted free agent. And – Phil DiGiuseppe's last eight games have been very good, and he's playing for that, you know, I'm a part of this team and, and need to be a part of this team uh, for all next year. So these last two games I think are really big for those players. I think for Derek Ryan, I think for, for Zekoff, and I think for DiGiuseppe, those are, are two big games that they have a chance to, to show the coaching staff and 
whatever semblance of the front office or whatever comes in to make a difference and, and maybe stick around. Yep. So. And really, there's only, I think, so much you can do in a couple of games because uh, o- overall they're going to take um, your complete body of work from the season when, when analyzing it and determining if uh, the next contract is, is going to come. But it is a chance to leave uh, an impression, a lasting impression to where you think, oh, you know, Roland McEwen fought uh, Mackenzie Weger. Yeah. He can, you know, bring that type of uh, type of grit and sandpaper to the lineup. Chances for players to to make one last impression to say, hey, you know, I can do this. I can do this. This is part of my game. And this is why I deserve to be back next year. All right. So from the questions, we do what we like to do, bringing in our good friend, Mr. Will Farrell. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Here we go. Wow, we didn't even have to pay him to record that. No, he did it uh, Did it out of the goodness of his heart for us. All right, let's go to – I am excited because we actually got this sent to us instead of me asking you, do you have one? And I know the answer always from you is no, or I'll come up with one. Right. But you get to read one. Yes, from Peter Waltz, at Peter Waltz on Twitter. Very easy. This offseason, he says, the Canes will make someone – or, excuse me, you I can't me to, You want me to read no, it for no, no, you I now? I got this, I got this. Here we go. It was put on a T for you. For God's sake, the web's Michael Smith. This, uh, you would think, I don't even write or read for a living. This offseason, the Canes will trade someone significant. For example, Justin Falk, Jeff Skinner, in order to get a significant player in return. If you like it, take it. If not, send it right back. Let me hedge. Okay. Goes back to what I just said earlier. Depends on who the front office is going to look at as their general manager who's going to be in that role. So I'm going to hedge and say, at this moment, I can't give you a definitive answer. But I'll take it. I think that the Canes are going to make a move. And I, I don't know I don't know anything for, for sure because let's go back to the motto of the show. They don't tell us anything. And we don't know anything. You know, we figure it out. And there's, uh, like as we said, a lot of yep. uncertainty. We usually figure these things out, Michael, because of his role with the team and, and how he has to update the website and everything. Michael usually gets the information about, what, 15, 20 minutes before it becomes really common public knowledge? Yeah, depending. Yeah, on depending what's there. on what it is. And I usually get that information 15, 20 minutes after Michael puts it on the web. <laughs> yeah, so that's how it goes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, but on, a serious, on a serious note um, – I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this team make some change like that. Yeah, I, I really. So I'll I'll take it. What about you? I'm gonna take it as well. Um, I hate to you know disagree or agree. Yeah. Um, and and know, it doesn't. By the way, it I doesn't mean disagree for the sake of disagree. No, no. But it doesn't. It doesn't mean either that it'd be the two players that he right. referenced in his tweet. I I just think that there's yeah. something that, that I think there's a probably move, will happen. Yeah, I think there's a move to be made. Uh, Ron Francis is uh, he preferred to make deals around the draft Um, and I think that's when prices are uh, most beneficial I think because teams are are either looking to to move up in the draft to to get a player that they have their eye on or uh, they're sort of looking towards free agency which happens about a week later and saying okay we need to clear Clear some money off right Um, so I think that's a perfect time to strike I think uh, trade deadline is it can be sort of dicey um, but I think around the draft is, is a good time to, to make a move. So I don't know if we'll see uh, the yet unnamed new GM make that move. Yeah. Um, but I think I would not be surprised to see the Hurricanes make some sort of splash in the trade market this summer. Um, how big it is, who they get, who they give up, obviously remains to be seen. 
the couple players you mentioned could certainly be involved. Really, any player could be involved yep. at this point. But uh, in order to get something significant, yes, Peter, you are correct. The Hurricanes are going to have to trade away something significant. By the way, free agency is going to be very interesting on a side note because the NHL, go back to December, said that the cap is going up. And right now it currently sits at $75 million, and they say it could go anywhere between 78 and $82 million. So if it goes to $82 million, you know, all of the, the yard sales that we've seen, the fire sales that we've seen from some of these teams, they're not going to do that this year because they're going to have seven extra million dollars to play around with. So keep an eye on that when the NHL finally sets what the salary cap increase is going to be for this year. Because let's face it, the Chicago Blackhawks have lost – how many players the last three, four years because of salary cap constraints. So just keep an eye on that. That might make this a little bit different. Or what it might even do is have teams like you know, Chicago, who's out of the playoffs, move a huge piece, a big contract, to bring in or make room for a bigger contract in return. So, And that's I'm just talking speculatory, not yeah, saying just, that they're going to do it, but yeah. – it, it comes into those those plays. Do you uh, do you have a like it no. take it? All right, I didn't think that you would. No. All right, um, mine is in <laughs> kind of dealing in the. Just work with me on this one. If the nets were six inches wider and two inches taller, Brock McGinn would have scored thirty goals this year. You're yeah. gonna take it or send it back? Yeah, I'll take it <laughs> because he, no other player has hit more iron whether post or crossbar than Brock McGinn has. And it's, Unbelievable it's kind of uncanny, his ability to find the post. It's unfortunate for him, yes. obviously, and for the Hurricanes. But it at least shows that he's creating scoring opportunities and he's getting himself in position to score goals. Now it's just a matter of moving that puck a few inches to the left, to the right, down a little bit, yep. whatever it may, might be. He's had a really good year, um, and I think his future is insanely bright because he's shown that uh, head coach Bill Peters said from, what, about game 10 or 20 on, he's really just turned it on. He's that good blend of uh, grit and scoring ability. And And toughness. Yeah, and he's played well with Justin Williams as his uh, opposite wingmate. They've had a few centers, you know, here and there, but – I really like what he's brought to the lineup this year. And I like that line with Jordan Stahl. I really do. And I think that, you know, the funny thing is there's there's balance with the Canes line right now. And we've got the top line, however you want to label it, but Sebastian Ajo centering for Valentin Zikoff and Tavo Teravainen. I like that line. Offensively, it's dangerous. There's some things that they can do, I think, defensively, and they'll they'll get better defensively. You saw a reemergence of Jeff Skinner with Phil DiGiuseppe as his opposite wing and Elias Lindholm in the middle, who, by the way, Lindholm is a restricted free agent, but he's shown that he's quite comfortable in the middle. I think since he's moved to center, Michael, he wins three-quarters of every face-off yeah, that, you know, really face-offs that he takes. So think about it. Three-quarters, he's winning basically seven-and-a-half of every ten face-offs he takes. In order, or three out of every four. That would yeah. be much better. I would get the, the math right there. I told I was told there would be no math. But yeah. that line's good. And then you move Jordan Stahl to that line with Justin Williams and Brock McGinn, and that's a heavy, tough line to play against. They were really good last night against the Florida Panthers. So that's that. That was my if you'd like it, take it. If not. We, I think we both said earlier on this podcast in a 
segment like this that Sebastian Ajo would make it to 30 goals. Two games left. He's at 28. He should have had 29 last night. Does he make it to 30? And does he look back at last night and shake his head at hitting the side of the net? I think he always shakes his head when he misses well, a, yeah. an opportunity for a, <laughs> yeah. a goal. By the way, when we had him mic'd up, for uh, Fox for the Sebastian Ajo showcase. And we hope people like that. I, I got to give credit to our producer, Jim Malia, who said, hey, let's do something different. Let's put a spotlight on, on the Canes' young talent and see what he does. We had great access. The organization gave it to us and then, you know, followed him around. We hope that you appreciated that. And it was something different. And hopefully the, the fans enjoyed it. But two games left. He needs two goals. I'm going to take it. I think he gets yeah, to I 30. Yeah, he gets there. I, think I, he, I hope he does. I hope he's not at 29. That would just be a bummer. No, they'll if he gets if he gets to twenty nine, like early. Just let's fast forward to Tampa. Say he's got twenty nine. He scores in Philly. He's got twenty nine. They will do everything they can to get him thirty. Yeah. If he has twenty eight going into Tampa and he scores in the first period, they will do everything they can to get him thirty. If there's an empty net, he's going to be on the ice for all of it. Yeah. Stay out there. Yeah. You're not coming back to the and net. just fish around. Ooh, well done. See what I did there. Tying it all together. Yeah. Chuck Caton would appreciate that. Proud noise only. Thank you. That'll do it for this edition of the Canes Yeah, I think that's the perfect place to end it. You you just, let me just say, we took it hook, line, and sinker. Hey. We'll talk to you uh, next week. uh, Probably Probably Tuesday. Tuesday. We'll keep it up because locker clean out and exit interviews are Sunday and Monday, and I don't believe... The Sunday exit interviews are Sunday will be just internal yeah. stuff. Yeah, so it'd I be Monday. I believe we talked to players on Monday. Yep. Um, so we'll have plenty to report. Uh, hopefully, a couple interviews as well for a Tuesday midweek Canes cast, and then we'll uh, we'll figure out a schedule for the off season. Uh, might take some weeks off here and there, just uh, because there won't be much as much to talk about as there is during the season. But we'll uh, we'll definitely continue to provide content for your ears on a regular basis although in may because there is vacation schedules and things that michael and i have to deal with yes because we won't be here michael's going to take vacation i certainly will do the same thing but i really do hope that in may if i'm not here or if i'm on vacation you do one episode i guess i'm gonna say it'd be like 42 or 43 and you would just call it solo solo (laughs) i see (laughs) Just me. Just you. Just me reviewing solo. Why not? And maybe mentioning the Hurricanes. <laughs> that could work as well. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for the web's Michael Smith. And TV's Mike Maniscalco. We'll talk to you, we think, next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Thank you.